Do me a favor. I want you to grab a Bible. If you don't use your Bible on your phone, grab a Bible. And turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Okay? Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. One of the things that we always have to be very, very careful and leery of. Listen to me. One thing we have to be careful and leery of is whose words are we listening to more? The preacher's words or the Word of God? Because too often, we become dependent on those who are the communicators. And that is the gravest danger that you can have in your life. If you trust every single thing that I'm saying, and you are not in the Word yourself, you are getting a droplet of God's Word. A droplet of God's power. And a droplet of God's presence. And so this morning, as I have been doing more and more, I want the Word to become something more to you than what it's been. I don't want it to be a plain spaghetti dinner. I want it to become a flavorful lasagna. Right? All you Italians out there, y'all smiling. So let's look at this. Genesis chapter 3, verse, uh, verses 23 and 24. This is one of the most bizarre episodes that we read in Scripture. But let's read it. So the Word of God banished, so the, so the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden. And He sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which He had made. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim in the east of the Garden of Eden and placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way of the tree of life. Stop. Background. Adam and Eve sinned. God said, do everything you want. There are no limits on what I have created for you. Except for one. The tree of life. And he says, I'll let you do anything in this garden. Play, do whatever you want. But I'm telling you, don't do this. And he even gave him the reason why. But Adam and Eve, like us, they stole the cookie from the cookie jar. They stole the last Snickers from the freezer. I did that on Friday night. <laughs> Didn't tell my wife or my kids. True Confessions by Rob Parker. Good thing we're doing paleo together. Who's worthy of I don't know. I just found them. Yeah, I ate them. But in that, they sinned and they were banished. And all of a sudden, you have this bizarre episode take place. God banishes them from the garden and He sets up mighty cherubim to protect the garden. And then you have this weird image of a flaming sword going back and forth to protect the tree. Now, oftentimes, we look at a passage like this and we see God's judgment, right? That's what we know of God. He's the God that just sits there up in heaven and be like, you know, Allison, you did it again. Boom. Coop, come on, bud. When are you going to grow up? Boom. And He's just looking for us to, Shane, every time we just wait for Him to hit us on the head. I've read this passage Hundreds, if not a thousand times. 
And I read something this week that made me totally think of it as a completely different scenario. That when God set up the cherubim and the flaming sword, He actually was being gracious to Adam and Eve in fear of what more will happen if they give in to that temptation again. Have you ever thought of that? That when God banished them, He actually was protecting them from something worse. And when you look at the the angel, the cherubim, the mighty warrior, you see this thing and you're like, wow, I get that, but why the flaming sword? Well, here's the twist. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. And I know the missing link in all of our lives is the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And throughout Scripture, there is this imagery that is always given of who God is so that we can have a better way to tangibly understand how He works, what does He look like, and how He wants to function in our lives. Because without these imageries, how can we fully understand the Holy Spirit? We can grasp Jesus knowing that He walked the earth and historically speaking that they cannot disprove that. They can only prove it. But what about this this weird left out part of the Trinity called the Holy Spirit? And this morning, my goal is to teach you. There's a difference between preaching. Preaching was last week. This week is teaching. I am going to teach you about what this, this... This emblem of this flaming sword is supposed to be in your life so that you can have a life that you live in the fullness of what God created you to already be and to live victorious. To live victorious. To live beyond your human potential. Because that's why God created you. To, be, to bring glory to Himself through His greatest creation, you and I. That's it. That's the only reason He created us. So take your Bibles and turn with me now to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. And I'm going to read a verse to you. For the Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and our desires. Look at that. The Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit. Cutting between joint and marrow. And it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Isn't it interesting that before weaponry was ever created, and the only way that we know about weaponry, we don't think about swords. Like when we were little kids, we had swords that were sticks. That was it. 
every once in a while, they came out with these Nerf swords, which we have around our house, and people just start swinging them at each other. And it's one of those things that boys want to fight. But before weaponry was ever created, ever, God showed us this first image of a sword. And there are many different swords out there. I know a guy who actually is a, is a swordsman, smith, whatever they are. They actually have TV shows now about these swordsmen who, who create swords out of iron. And it's this big reality TV show. Who can make the biggest and the greatest sword? Sounds like such a boy thing, doesn't it? Like, seriously, it sounds like such a boy thing. Iron and weaponry. And who's stronger? Who's better? Who's on top? And there's so many different swords, but there's something unique that why is it that we see in Genesis and then we see in Hebrews that this sword is is very unique. First, it's made out of fire, but then it's pointing to that it's it's double-edged. You see, double-edged swords are very unique because it allows for cutting both ways without having to turn anything. It slices both sides of it are deadly, not dangerous. Swords are used for close combat. Spears and arrows are are meant to be sent out first. But the swords are used for the everyday. For as the armies are caving in on one another, that that they pull out their swords and their daggers for that hand-to-hand combat. I've been watching a TV show called Vikings. Any guys out there watch Vikings? It's a total ha-ha-ha show. It was awesome yesterday. Sue went grocery shopping. I turned on Netflix and I got, a, I got two episodes in. She shakes her head. But anyways, anywho, but in this you see the uniqueness. There's even a part in, in yesterday's episode where the guy had a sword and when he hit it, it broke. And the army that they were going against, they found out that the steel they were using was stronger and thicker, and more powerful. You see, there's a metaphor for a double, double-edged sword. It's a, it's a metaphor to that there's certain things that give us both a favorable and unfavorable effect. There are things that, that can bring us really, really good, but on the flip side, there's something negative. It's even that with a double-edged sword. You see, in battle, it's great. But what happens when you slip back and you catch yourself? It, catch, it cuts you as well. Listen to another verse that I have for you. Turn with me to 2 Timothy 3.16. We are doing a Bible study this morning. 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true And to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what's right. Ellie, keep this up here. Let me read to you another translation. Actually, this is actually a better translation of the word. Every part of of Scripture is God-breathed. What did we talk about last week? The breath of God. Every part of Scripture is God-breathed and is useful one way or another, showing us truth 
exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the Word, we are put together and shaped up for the task God has for us. So think about that. Do we believe that this Word of God is the very spoken Word of God? You see, we, we, we kind of detach who God is. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And yet when you study Scripture, there's this mystery that they're all in one. Never to be separated, but yet uniquely have their roles. And then all of a sudden we think that like this, this book is just a tool. But is it possible, as we talked about last week, that every single word in this book is God-inspired, God-breathed. Do we believe that, that when the authors penned this, that it was actually the very Spirit of God giving us specifically what God wanted us to know? Look at, look at the double-edged sword in this, in this verse. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Right? Double-edged sword. Let me show you what I have for you, but let me show where you're missing it. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us what to do what's right. Isn't that the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Isn't that the role of the Holy Spirit in our life to, to convict us? Not to show us the sinners that we are, which we are, but to draw us deeper into a loving relationship with God so that we can know exactly what He has for us. How funny is it that we are so easily believing for the vast majority of us that, that God so loved the world that He gave. And yet there's so many parts of the Scriptures that, that we don't touch and we don't wrestle with. And we don't want to have a part of it because it doesn't fit into my scope of life. This is with parenting. This is with marriage. This is with integrity. This is with finances. This is what decisions we make. And there's certain things that were so easily believed by us about our eternal security and conquest. But there's other things that we won't even dive into because we don't want it to cut off the garbage that keeps us from knowing who He is. I love this. I really came to this conclusion one day as a, as, a, as a younger believer. I always thought that God was taking things away from me. Anyone ever feel that? 
Come on. We're praying for liars this morning. Everyone feels, it's so like. And one day, God said to me, I'm taking away because I want to give you something better. That's a word for someone today. God wants to take away things from us because He wants to give us the best. I don't want to get all spooky and stuff, but that's a prophetic word for someone today. That God wants to take something out so He can put something better in. He corrects us so that we can live in a right relationship with Him. And it begins in the heart. And it flows through our actions. You see, in Scripture, there's, there's two things that we hold on to or we, we like to hold on to. Principles and promises. Promises are simply this. Things that God has said, this is going to happen, whether you like it or not. I promise you. And then principles. Let me just read what I wrote just so I can say it properly. Principles are guidelines that, grow, that govern our lives and should not be violated to experience the full blessing of God. They are guide, guidelines that govern our lives and should not be violated to experience the full blessings of God. See, principles are those things that like, hey, if you do these, you're going to be walking right away. Just follow these guidelines. I want to keep you safe on the everyday. I want to protect you. I want you to start building a hedge of, of, of power and glory and blessings around you. So you have these guidelines. You have guidelines for your relationships. You have guidelines for your finances. You have guidelines for how you make decisions. You have all these things that God is setting up for you. Just follow these. And I'll direct your steps. And then there's these promises that are going to happen no matter what. And we live in a world that that's all we focus in on in our selfish society. Okay, I want to find guidelines. I want to live in my promises. And when things don't go our way, can you catch? It doesn't work. Let me give you a couple principles and promises that we hold to, and I just want, I want to go through these. It says here in Proverbs 3, then you will find favor with both God, oh, let me start from the beginning. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Then you will find favor with both God and people, and you will earn a good reputation. Trust, in, trust the Lord with all your heart, do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do, and He will show you which path to take. Think about that. Let loyalty and kindness never leave you. As you live in a right relationship with God and others, He directs your steps. He guides you. That's a principle. Sometimes your principles aren't working right because of how you treat other people. 
God is saying, I'm going to guide every step. But it doesn't mean that it's going to come without difficulties. That's a principle. Let me read to you a promise. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. Let me just jump down. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean He no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or have trouble or threatened with death? As the Scriptures say, God's breath, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Thank you. Do you believe that promise? That in your difficulties and your hardships, that God is going to work everything out for your good because you love Him and He has called you by name. These are the truths that God's Word is saying that that I want them to be part of your character. Part of your DNA. I am breathing myself into you. And my words are going to cut you. To take away, to replace with that which is best. I will tell you in my journey of faith, I feel like my whole life has been a battle. Started at the age of eight. Hit by a car and almost died. I spent second and third grade in the hospital with crutches. I started third grade with a cane. Uh, I told you guys this story uh, about a couple years ago when I walked into third grade with a cane. My one friend said, hey grandpa, what a great thing for my identity, huh? Go on to, to high school, had a learning disability that God has totally healed. Praise God. Had a major learning disabilities. God healed. How do I know that? I went to college, got my master's, got my doctorate. But every day of my academic life was a living nightmare. Sophomore year, two knee surgeries. Junior year, going into senior year, right when I get my life right with Christ, rip off the back of my arm. Literally. I had my arm in my hand. I kid you not. Become a Christian. All these things happen. And then all of a sudden when life is going well, boom, major spinal damage, uh, spinal stenosis, vertebrae all out of whack to this day. And I kept pushing. Five, five sets of kidney stones. I'm going to keep going? Huh? Stop! I mean, literally... And all along, when I got right with Jesus, I thought everything was going to be perfect. But here's what God was showing me. I am preparing you in life's circumstances to live a victorious life that you will reap my full blessings. And then I have this idiotic decision to start a church from nothing. That was definitely a great idea. Which it was. But I know this. 
neither death nor life, no height, nothing has ever separated me from the power and the presence of God. Let me tell you why. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. We know the story, but I want to I show you something unique about this story. You've all heard it. I'm probably not telling you anything new, but I hope everything that I'm saying is going to begin to cultivate into something deeper. During that time, the devil came and said to him, Jesus, this was after the temptation, I'm sorry, after the baptism. After his baptism, God led Jesus into the wilderness, desert. It all depends on how you want to define it. And for 40 days, he fasted. 40 days, he fasted. And all of a sudden, the devil shows up on the scene and he says, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves and bread. But Jesus told him, no, the Scripture says, people do not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do you know what Jesus was repeating? Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the Son of God, jump off. For the Scripture says, He will order His angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You see, Satan started manipulating. He said, okay, Jesus, let's play this game. Check out Jesus, the master swordsman. And Jesus responded, the Scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Deuteronomy chapter 16, 16. Bam! Then next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And I will give it all to you, he said, if you kneel down and worship me. And Jesus said, get out of here, Satan. For the Scripture says, he's about to drop the mic, you must worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Deuteronomy 6.13 Then the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. Satan tempted Jesus' needs, his identity, and his ego. Satan tempted Jesus' needs, his identity, and his ego. And every single time, Jesus did not come up with a new saying. But rather it says that he came to fulfill the law, not to write something new. And every time he came against Satan, he went right to the Scriptures. Right to the breath of God. That same breath that lived in him and filled him with what was already stated to be true. You see, we are in a war. I'm sorry. I know we don't like talking about this. But think about this. We are the most educated, the most advanced, the most equipped nation in the world. And still, people's identity their egos, 
And their needs are not being met. And we saw it this week in Oregon. How is it that we have figured it out so well and still, for some reason, evil is growing? We think the, the, the invention of the iPad, the invention of this, the invention of that, like the world's getting better and more beautiful. It's not. But here's the beautiful thing. God has created us even in the midst of this desolation to live victorious lives that we would experience the full blessing that He has for us. But those blessings are only true and real when they come from Him and not what we manipulate. And I know Let me get off my preaching stool or stage. Let me sit and talk with my friends. I know this is so hard. I know at times the journey is so rough. I know at times you feel that you are walking through the wilderness. I know that there are times that it's like coming to the Red Sea and it's not parting. I know. I know that God has this bizarre mystery about Him that it's always the last hour. But I also think that's a lie that we have believed. And I know that today, what God is wanting to do in us is to begin to trust His Word for what it is. And He wants to empower us in such a way that we live victorious lives. When those temptations, when those frustrations, when those lies, when those circumstances come against us, that at some point, in some point in our lives, we're willing to stop and believe that God is going to work all things out. God is going to be my Jehovah Jireh. God is going to be my Jehovah Rapha. We lost a good man to death. But I still believe God is my healer. I still believe that God is going to use our church to allow healing to flow. I know that the last hope of Marx was that we would not give up preaching the powerful message of the transformational work as God is my Savior sanctifier, healer, and coming king. But the only reason that I can hold to this truth is because of the Word of God. I know, I know that each one of us, He has called us by name. And if you are here and you're like, this is the first time I've ever been to church, I'm telling you, you are here because God has called you by name. And He wants to give you this gift called the Holy Spirit that you can receive. All you have to do is take it so that you can live in the fullness of who you are relationally, socially, emotionally, personally, sexually. All the things that we are being told, all these lies about, God is saying, I want to create you perfectly to experience my fullness and my goodness. 
And I know some of you here have gone through divorce. And I know some of you are praying for your spouse and I know two things that could happen. That person's spouse's heart will be softened and come home to you. And if they don't, God will provide. Amen? Just because there's a bunch of knucklehead men and women out there does not mean that God has something better. And we need to hear that. We need to believe this. We need to believe that God wants to bless us and He doesn't want us to be people of debt financially. But live by His guidelines. Live by His guidelines. Live by His truth. And when it comes time for war, do what He has called you to do. Stop playing the games with Scripture. Stop manipulating the Holy Spirit. And let's be the people of God that take God for His Word. I'm telling you, if His Word's a lie, I'm an idiot. I am. I am wasting my life standing in a middle school. But I'm telling you this. God wants you to live victorious. No more brokenness. No more pain. When they come up again, He will, He will take you through. I want to read one last thing and then I'm done. This is so interesting. So in, in chapter 3 of Genesis, that's where we see the flaming sword. Okay? So that's the, the, in the first three chapters. If you go to Revelations and you go back three chapters, listen to what he writes. It's about Jesus. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe at his, his side was written this title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. How cool is that? When he gave us this imagery of the sword in chapter 3 of Genesis, he says, I'm not done. I'm going to wrap this thing up and I'm going to put a bow on it. And when you go to Revelations 21, 20, and 19, he goes right back to his presence. The presence of God that is, that is the Holy Spirit that we find in his spoken word. God's presence are the words of Scripture. God's presence is what indwells us the moment we become followers of Jesus. And God's presence is what pushes us into victory. I'm telling you, God has so much more for us. Don't depend on me. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Amen? Amen.